Ever heard of Samson? Of course. Did you know he's only mentioned one time in the Bible beyond the narrative of his story in his life of Judges 14 through 16? And yet, you probably can tell me his story, or most of you. How about Goliath? Did you know that Goliath is only mentioned four times, even in his own narrative? And then only once after that, but it's only because it's a reference to his brother who was killed. Yet you can tell me his story as well. What about Gideon? Only listed in Judges, narrative, in the narrative of Judges 6 through 9, and then once in 1 Samuel. But you know his story also. The fact that someone would be mentioned in Scripture multiple times, made reference to by different authors, or lessons drawn from that person and applied by various authors, means that that person is a very important person in Scripture. And there are things that need to be learned from that person. A few examples. Adam, 12 times listed in the Bible, beyond the narrative, by nine different authors. Abraham, eight times beyond the narrative, by six different authors. David, okay, too many times to count. I started and then, you know, boy... Psalms, the city of David, all of the references to him in the kingly line leading up to the birth of Christ and so on. So, of course. So how about a guy named Balaam? Ever heard of him? Beyond the narrative, by my count, more than Abraham. Interesting. Ten times, by seven authors... Four times in the Old Testament, three times in the New Testament. Okay, so he's no David, but you really ought to know this guy. Four lessons from a guy you should really know. And this four is the next number that we should be good with. The first number that we did in our Good With Numbers Series out of the book of Numbers was the number one. God told us that he wants to bless us first. And this is God's way. Are you good with that number? That God first loves. God leads with love. God wants to bless. That isn't a wish of ours. That is his first desire, that he would bless us. Are you good with that number? Number two showed us ourselves. Our tendency to always want another way. If there's one way, we want to go another way. Hmm. Are you good with that number? Number three. Number three proved the majority wrong and taught us that even two plus one, if that one is God, is a majority. Are you good with that number? One, two, three. Now the number four is the number that will help us with the significance of this Balaam, a guy you really ought to know. And not just because of uh, some kind of 
of him being an important figure in Scripture, but much more importantly because learning this important lesson from his life has everything to do with your personal worship of the God behind the story and the God behind the entire story. Because worship, as I continue to say over and over again in this book of worship, Numbers, is most active, most accurate, most what it's intended intended to be when... It permeates and fills and infuses the normal, the mundane, the everyday daily routines and activities and responsibilities of our lives. When what we do, when anything we do, when all we do, we do for the glory of God, we are truly worshiping. When we express obedient love for our gracious God in word and deed and the most normal and seemingly benign activities, We're taking worship to where it really belongs. So let's learn from Balaam in Numbers 22 to 25 and in all of Scripture what it means to worship in the most normal of ways. So you may or may not know this story very well. Nevertheless, it's very predictable. This troop of a couple of million people have left Egypt And they're moving through the desert. God is preparing them to enter into the promised land. They have uh, come upon some countries which, when they've rebelled against them, have paid their punishment for doing that. God has provided in so many ways food and water for them. They're traveling behind a huge cloud by day and they're illumined by a pillar of fire by night. The countries they're traveling through in and around are intimidated, if not terrified, as we read in the passage. And you would be too. Moab was one of these countries and Balak was their king. Balak hires Balaam. Don't get them confused, right? Sorry, their names are so much the same the way it just works out. Balak hires Balaam to curse the Israelites because he and all of the Moabites are afraid of these people, seeing that God's blessing them and and they want them brought down. Now, Balaam is not even a man of God. He's a soothsayer. He's an occultist. He's a diviner. Joshua 13.22 tells us that he was a diviner, an occultist. And the Hebrew word used of him is not of a prophet, but of a soothsayer. So then comes when Balak goes and asks Balaam to come and see him. Here comes the famous story of the donkey. That is the story of Balaam that you probably know. hate to disappoint you. I'm not going to talk about the talking donkey today. And the reason I'm not is because that, even though Balaam is referenced a number more times, seven more times I told you, Four in the Old Testament, three in the New. That story is never referenced again. So there must be another lesson and a much deeper lesson. So let's look at the deeper lesson that Balaam is meant to teach us. Balaam cannot curse what God has blessed. That's exactly what he tells Balak the first time Balak comes and asks him to curse them. I can't. No one can curse what God has blessed. But, you know, Balak won't give up, and so he insists that he come. God wants to bless. Look at how resolved he is in what we saw in lesson number one. 
No one can curse what he blesses. One of the amazing things about our God is that he can orchestrate even the most malicious attempts against what is his own for his own purposes. In order, in other words, taking something evil and using it for good. So, he decides to take the evil desire of this King Balak and the malintention of this soothsayer Balaam and use the oracles that he would speak for his purposes to teach some lessons. So there are three very simple yet profound lessons that God decides to teach through Balaam as he attempts to curse the people of God. The first one is Bamoth Baal in Numbers chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. So, uh, initial verses we have the setting up of this and all that Balak, uh, Balaam tells Balak to do and preparing the sacrifices and so on. And then I start reading in verse 7 of chapter 23. Balak brought me from Aram, the king of Moab, from the eastern mountains. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. Now, verse 8. How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? God's, very, I said, simple lessons, right? Profound. God's people are exactly that. They're His. He keeps His promises. He is the very definition of I've got your back. Don't worry. No one can curse what I call mine. He even goes on to say in verse 10, this oracle, uh, Balaam does, let me die the death of the righteous and may my final end be like theirs. It doesn't get any better than this. These are God's people. We should all end this well. And up to this point, many of them are getting that. In fact, in verse 23, verse 9, chapter 23, verse 9, we see that His, those who are His, live like this is true. They do not consider themselves one of the other nations. They consider themselves God's people. Now, we've seen their weaknesses, but one thing they are continuing to do up until this point is say, we're God's. Where is your citizenship? What do you consider your citizenship? Do you think about the fact that you actually belong to a heavenly Father? And your most significant identity is in Him. First lesson. God's people are His. Well, it doesn't work. And of course, you know, Balak is unhappy. He says in verse 11, What have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies, but you've done nothing but bless them. So, he's going to try again. Here, let's do this again. We'll go up to Mount Pisgah. So they go to Mount Pisgah. And again, he sets up the sacrifices and does all the burnt offerings. And then, once again, Balaam speaks, beginning in verse 19. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it. 
No misfortune is seen in Jacob. No misery observed in Israel. The Lord their God is with them. The shout of the king is among them. Second lesson, God is with them. They are his in lesson number one. Number two, he is present with them. No misfortune is seen, Jacob. The Lord God is with them. The shout of their king is among them. It will now be said of Israel, see what God has done. There's power, there's invincibility. No man can stop what God has decided. And they're not afraid to talk about it. The shout of the king is among them. Those who know his presence, speak of it. Would you agree with me that God is with you? Everywhere you go? Every single day? Do you speak of his presence with you? What do you have to say of the one who is with you? When push comes to shove, do you speak of your king or of your woes? You know, when the conversation just tends to go that way. Oh, what beautiful weather we had this week. Yeah, but you know what's coming next week? It's going to be in the 90s. Oh, my word, it's going to be September, and it feels like it's July. I can't believe it. I can't. We all just slide into all those things, don't we? You think you've got a bad eye. Do we speak of the presence of the one who is with us? Hmm. And there's a third simple lesson. Peor. The end of Numbers chapter 23 and then going into chapter 24. God loves them. The prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of the one whose eyes sees clearly, the prophecy of the one who hears the words of the Lord, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are open. How beautiful are your tents, Jacob? Your dwelling places, Israel. Like valleys they spread out, like gardens beside a river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Water will, f- listen, water will flow from their buckets. Their seed will have abundant water. We have God's loving blessing, His beauty, His provision, and also in things that are yet to come. They don't even know how much the Lord still wants to bless them. Or as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. What do you expect? What are you looking forward to? Do you know whose you are? So God's people are His. He takes this foolish instrument and He says these marvelous things through Him. God's people are His. He is with them and He loves them. Do you know whose you are? Do you live like it? Do you talk about it? Are you expecting what is yet to come? It's all good, right? And then there's lesson Number four. Hmm. Balaam goes on to say other oracles. There are four more of them. But 
It's what happens after he leaves that is the lesson that we need to see. This is the lesson known as Baal Peor. Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 through 3. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabite women who invited them to the, sacrifice, to, to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and the Lord's anger burned against them. Balaam ends up leaving without any money. So Balak promised him a lot of money if he would come and curse. He's furious after all these oracles that he doesn't curse. And so he tells him, get out of here. I'm not paying you. Balaam answered Balak, did I not tell the messengers you sent me? Even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in this palace, I could not do anything of my own accord, good or bad, to go beyond the command of the Lord. And I must say only what the Lord says. Now I'm going back to my people. But come, let me warn you of what this people will do to your people in the days to come. Now from there, he goes on into these other four short oracles of the destruction of Moab and the judgment of God against Moab. But he also had another conversation that wasn't recorded here. Balaam ends up leaving without any money, but he leaves advice with Balak, and this is his advice. Don't curse them. Be nice to them. Entice them. Lead them astray, and they will bring the wrath of God on themselves. Here's the secret. You can't curse them, but you can corrupt them. You can't curse them, but you can corrupt them. And this is exactly what happens in Numbers chapter 25 as Moab seduces Israel. The men are drawn away and seduced by the Moabite women and they compromise themselves sexually and spiritually through immorality and idolatry. This came to be known infamously in the Bible as the event of the matter of Baal Peor. It's mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 4. It's mentioned in Psalm 106. It's mentioned in Hosea chapter 9. And as we're going to see, it was mentioned in Revelation chapter 4. Forget about the donkey. Learn the lesson of Baal Peor. How did this happen? Revelation tells us. Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Here's the implication, the lesson to be learned. Those who forget lesson number one. Those who forget his promises. Fill that space of His intended blessing with something else. Those who forget that they're His go looking for something they can call theirs. 
those who don't live like they belong to Him, don't speak like they belong to Him, don't look forward to all that the Lord has prepared for them because they forget that He is with them, that He loves them, that He calls them His own. Those who fill all of the wonderful promise and presence and purpose with something else instead of Him corrupt themselves. We corrupt ourselves. No one can curse what God has decided to bless. But we can corrupt what God has chosen to love. God does not change, but we corrupt. The future is in God's hands, but our part in His future is in our own hands. How about that for the mundane, for the normal, for the everyday, the seemingly benign and meaningless? After all, Nobody's looking, right? Nobody cares, do they? It's just me. How about the mundane that is actually worship, either of Him or of ourselves? Everything we do is worship. Or it is idolatry. It's either all about Him or it's all about us. What is your next act of worship? Will, be it, will it be an act of worship toward Him or, or an act of worship of yourself? Jimmy Needham writes a song called Clear the Stage. And he says, you can sing all you want. You can sing all you want. You can sing all you want and still get it wrong. Because worship is so much more than a song. We must not worship something that's not even worth it. But rather make space for the one and only who deserves it. Anything I put before my God is an idol. Anything I want with all my heart is an idol. Anything I can't stop thinking about is an idol. Anything I give all my love is an idol. How about that for worship? Men, what you look at. Women, what you read. Men, what you let your eyes see. Women, 
where you let your hearts go. We are in this world, but we are not of it. That means we act like those who are His. Does your life look like you belong to another world? Or does it look like you belong to this one? Remember the citizenship question? Those are normal, benign, everyday, seemingly meaningless decisions that say no to what entices and yes to what is eternal. How about that as an act of worship? God is present with us. We live like He is here. Sometimes we ask ourselves, what would you do if Jesus is present? He is! Those normal, benign, everyday choices that say what He wants is what matters most. What others think of that doesn't even compare to what He thinks of that. How about that as an act of worship? God loves you. And He wants to bless you first. That means we respond in gratitude to the One who blesses. Those are normal, benign, everyday choices that say, I can't be distracted by the trivial and complain about the temporal. I see the eternal and I live in the light of things that will last and that really matter. How about that? As an act of worship. God wants to bless. And no one can curse what is His. The problem is, we also want. And when that want is misdirected, we corrupt what He considers His. Us. Why would we want to ruin what He wants to bless? Let's pray. Such simple lessons, Lord, that You want to bless us, that You are with us, that you love us as your people, as your children. And you'll use even the most malicious attempts to attack us for your purposes, to remind us and to grow us and to love us and to draw us into your incredibly gracious presence. Oh, forgive us for all that all that you do to to love us and care for us to protect us even from evil intentions and then we derail it all by what we want because we minimize the fact that the little things that seem benign and meaningless 
small and every day are unimportant. Fill us and use us and transform our everyday life into what only you truly deserve. A myriad of choices and acts and behaviors of worship. Amen.